chapter thirty five part one of paul clifford by edward bulwer lytton this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter thirty five part one what is it that at moments there creeps over us an awe a terror overpowering but undefined why is it that we shudder without a cause and feel the warm life-blood stand still in its courses are the dead too near falkland ha sayest thou hideous thought i feel it twine o'er my iced heart as curls around his prey the sure and deadly serpent what in the hush and in the solitude pass that dread soul away love and hatred the evening prior to that morning in which the above conversation occurred brandon passed alone in his lodging at blank he had felt himself too unwell to attend the customary wassail and he sat indolently musing in the solitude of the old-fashioned chamber to which he was consigned there two wax candles on the smooth quaint table dimly struggled against the gloom of heavy panels which were relieved at unfrequent intervals by portraits in oaken frames dingy harsh and important with the pomp of laced garments and flowing wigs the predilection of the landlady for modern tastes had indeed on each side of the huge fireplace suspended more novel masterpieces of the fine arts in emblematic gorgeousness hung the pictures of the four seasons buxom wenches all save winter who was deformedly bodied forth in the likeness of an aged carl these were interspersed by an engraving of lord malevolor the lieutenant of the neighbouring county looking extremely majestical in his peer's robes and by three typifications of faith hope and charity ladies with whom it may be doubted if the gay earl ever before cultivated so close an intimacy curtains of that antique chintz in which fasces of stripes are alternated by rows of flowers fill the interstices of three windows a heavy sideboard occupied the greater portion of one side of the room and on the opposite side in the rear of brandon a vast screen stretched its slow length along and relieved the unpopulated and as it were desolate comfort of the apartment pale and imperfectly streamed the light upon brandon's face as he sat in his large chair leaning his cheek on one hand and gazing with the unconscious earnestness of abstraction on the clear fire at that moment a whole phalanx of gloomy thought was sweeping in successive array across his mind his early ambition his ill-omened marriage the causes of his after rise in the wrong judging world the first dawn of his reputation his rapid and flattering successes his present elevation his aspiring hope of far higher office and more patrician honours all these phantoms passed before him in chequered shadow and light but ever with each stalked one disquieting and dark remembrance the loss of his only son weaving his ambition with the wish to revive the pride of his hereditary name every acquisition of fortune or of fame rendered him yet more anxious to find the only one who could perpetuate these hollow distinctions to his race 
i shall recover him yet he broke out suddenly and aloud as he spoke a quick darting spasmodic pain ran shivering through his whole frame and then fixed for one instant on his heart with a grip like the talons of a bird it passed away and was followed by a deadly sickness brandon rose and filling himself a large tumbler of water drank with avidity the sickness passed off like the preceding pain but the sensation had of late been often felt by brandon and disregarded for few persons were less afflicted with the self-torture of hypochondria but now that night whether it was more keen than usual or whether his thought had touched on the string that jars naturally on the most startling of human anticipations we know not but as he resumed his seat the idea of his approaching dissolution shot like an ice-bolt through his breast so intent was the scheming man upon the living objects of the world and so little were his thoughts accustomed to turn toward the ultimate goal of all things that this idea obtruding itself abruptly upon him startled him with a ghastly awe he felt the colour rush from his cheek and a tingling and involuntary pain ran wandering through the channels of his blood even from the roots of the hair to the soles of his feet but the stern soul of brandon was not one which shadows could long affright he nerved himself to meet the grim thought thus forced upon his mental eye and he gazed on it with a steady and enduring look well thought he is my hour coming or have i yet the ordinary term of mortal nature to expect it is true i have lately suffered these strange revulsions of the frame with somewhat of an alarming frequency perhaps this medicine which healed the anguish of one infirmity has produced another more immediately deadly yet why should i think this my sleep is sound and calm my habits temperate my mind active and clear as in its best days in my youth i never played the traitor with my constitution why should it desert me at the very threshold of my age nay nay these are but passing twitches chills of the blood that begins to wax thin shall i learn to be less rigorous in my diet perhaps wine may reward my abstinence in avoiding it for my luxuries by becoming a cordial to my necessities i i will consult i will consult i must not die yet i have let me see three four grades to gain before the latter is scaled and above all i must regain my child lucy married to malevera myself appear my son wedded to whom pray god he be not married already my nephews and my children nobles the house of brandon restored my power high in the upward gaze of men my fame set on a more lasting basis than a skill in the quirks of law these are yet to come these i will not die till i have enjoyed men die not till their destinies are fulfilled the spirit that swells and soars within me says that the destiny of william brandon is but half begun with this conclusion brandon sought his pillow what were the reflections of the prisoner whom he was to judge need we ask let us picture to ourselves his shattered health the languor of sickness heightening the gloom which makes the very air of a jail his certainty of the doom to be passed against him his knowledge that the uncle of lucy brandon was to be his judge that malevra was to be his accuser 
and that in all human probability the only woman he had ever loved must sooner or later learn the criminality of his life and the ignominy of his death let us but glance at the above blackness of circumstances that surrounded him and it would seem that there is but little doubt as to the complexion of his thoughts perhaps indeed even in that terrible and desolate hour one sweet face shone on him and dashed the darkness all away perhaps too whatever might be the stings of his conscience one thought one remembrance of a temptation mastered and a sin escaped brought to his eyes tears that were sweet and healing in their source but the heart of a man in clifford's awful situation is dark and inscrutable and often when the wildest and gloomiest external circumstances surround us their reflection sleeps like a shadow calm and still upon the mind the next morning the whole town of a town in which we regret to say an accident once detained ourself for three wretched days and which we can speaking therefore from profound experience assert to be in ordinary times the most melancholy and peopleless looking congregation of houses that a sober imagination can conceive exhibited a scene of such bustle animation and jovial anxiety as the trial for life or death to a fellow-creature can alone excite in the phlegmatic breasts of the english around the court the crowd thickened with every moment until the whole market-place in which the town hall was situated became one living mass the windows of the houses were filled with women some of whom had taken that opportunity to make parties to breakfast and little round tables with tea and toast on them caught the eyes of the grinning mobists as they gaped impatiently upwards ben said a stout yeoman tossing up a halfpenny and catching the said coin in his right hand which he immediately covered with the left ben heads or tails that love it is hanged heads hanged tails not for a crown petticoats to be sure quoth ben eating an apple and it was heads dammy you've lost cried the yeoman rubbing his rough hands with glee it would have been a fine sight for asmodeus could he have perched on one of the housetops of the market-place of blank and looked on the murmuring and heaving sea of mortality below oh the sight of a crowd round a court of law or a gibbet ought to make the devil split himself with laughter while the mob was fretting and pushing and swearing and grinning and betting and picking pockets and trampling feet and tearing gowns and scrambling nearer and nearer to the doors and windows of the court brandon was slowly concluding his abstemious repast preparatory to attendance on his judicial duties his footman entered with a letter sir william glanced rapidly over the seal one of those immense sacrifices of wax used at that day adorned with a huge coat of arms surmounted with an earl's coronet and decorated on either side with those supporters so dear to heraldic taste he then tore open the letter and read as follows my dear sir william you know that in the last conversation i had the honour to hold with you i alluded though perhaps somewhat distantly to the esteem which his majesty had personally expressed for your principles and talents and his wish to testify it at the earliest opportunity there will be as you are doubtless aware an immediate creation of four peerages your name stands second on the list the choice of title his majesty graciously leaves to you but he has hinted that the respectable antiquity of your family would make him best pleased were you to select the name of your own family seat 
which if i mistake not is warlock you will instruct me at your leisure as to the manner in which the patent should be made out touching the succession etc perhaps excuse the license of an old friend this event may induce you to forsake your long-cherished celibacy i need not add that this accession of rank will be accompanied by professional elevation you will see by the papers that the death of blank leaves vacant the dignity of chief baron and i am at length empowered to offer you a station proportioned to your character and talents with great consideration believe me my dear sir very truly yours private and confidential brandon's dark eye glanced quickly from the signature of the premier affixed to this communication towards the mirror opposite him he strode to it and examined his own countenance with a long and wistful gaze never we think did youthful gallant about to repair to the trysting spot in which fair looks make the greatest of earthly advantages gaze more anxiously on the impartial glass than now did the ascetic and scornful judge and never we ween did the eye of the said gallant retire with a more satisfied and triumphant expression yes yes muttered the judge no sign of infirmity is yet written here the blood flows clear and warm enough the cheek looks firm too and passing full for one who was always of the lean kind aha this letter is a cordial an elixir vitro i feel as if a new lease were granted to the reluctant tenant lord warlock the first baron of warlock lord chief baron what next as he spoke he strode unconsciously away folding his arms with that sort of joyous and complacent gesture which implies the idea of a man hugging himself in a silent delight assuredly had the most skilful physician then looked upon the ardent and all-lighted face the firm step the elastic and muscular frame the vigorous air of brandon as he mentally continued his soliloquy he would have predicted for him as fair a grasp on longevity as the chances of mortal life will allow he was interrupted by the servant entering it is twenty-five minutes after nine sir said he respectfully sir sir repeated brandon ah well so late yes sir and the sheriff's carriage is almost at the door huh minister peer warlock succession my son my son would to god that i could find thee such were brandon's last thoughts as he left the room it was with great difficulty so dense was the crowd that the judge drove up to the court as the carriage slowly passed the spectators pressed to the windows of the vehicle and stood on tiptoe to catch a view of the celebrated lawyer brandon's face never long indicative of his feelings had now settled into its usual gravity and the severe loftiness of his look chilled while it satisfied the curiosity of the vulgar it had been ordered that no person should be admitted until the judge had taken his seat on the bench and this order occasioned so much delay owing to the accumulated pressure of the vast and miscellaneous group that it was more than half an hour before the court was able to obtain that decent order suiting the solemnity of the occasion at five minutes before ten a universal and indescribable movement announced that the prisoner was was put to the bar we read in one of the journals of that day that on being put to the bar the prisoner looked round with a long and anxious gaze which at length settled on the judge and then dropped while the prisoner was observed to change countenance slightly lovett was dressed in a plain dark suit he seemed to be about six feet high and though thin and worn probably from the effect of his wound and imprisonment he is remarkably well made and exhibits the outward appearance of that great personal strength which he is said to possess 
and which is not unfrequently the characteristic of daring criminals his face is handsome and prepossessing his eyes and hair dark and his complexion pale possibly from the effects of his confinement there was a certain sternness in his countenance during the greater part of the trial his behaviour was remarkably collected and composed the prisoner listened with the greatest attention to the indictment which the reader will find in another part of our paper charging him with the highway robbery of lord malevera on the night of the blank of blank last he occasionally inclined his body forward and turned his ear towards the court and he was observed as the jury were sworn to look steadily in the face of each he breathed thick and hard when the various aliases he had assumed howard cavendish jackson etc were read but smiled with an unaccountable expression when the list was completed as if exulting at the varieties of his ingenuity at twenty-five minutes past ten mr dibright the counsel for the crown stated the case to the jury mr dibright was a lawyer of great eminence he had been a whig all his life but had latterly become remarkable for his insincerity and subservience to the wishes of the higher powers his talents were peculiar and effective if he had little eloquence he had much power and his legal knowledge was sound and extensive many of his brethren excelled him in display but no one like him possessed the secret of addressing a jury winningly familiar seemingly candid to a degree that scarcely did justice to his cause as if he were in an agony lest he should persuade you to lean a hair-breadth more on his side of the case than justice would allow apparently all made up of good homely virtuous feeling a disinterested regard for truth a blunt yet tender honesty seasoned with a few amiable fireside prejudices which always come home to the hearts of your fathers of families and thoroughbred britons versed in all the niceties of language and the magic of names if he were defending crime carefully calling it misfortune if attacking misfortune constantly calling it crime mr Dye bright was exactly the man born to pervert justice to tickle jurors to cousin truth with a friendly smile and to obtain a vast reputation as an excellent advocate he began with a long preliminary flourish on the importance of the case he said that he should with the most scrupulous delicacy avoid every remark calculated to raise unnecessary prejudice against the prisoner he should not allude to his unhappy notoriety his associations with the lowest dregs here up jumped the counsel for the prisoner and mr dibright was called to order god knows resumed the learned gentleman looking wistfully at the jury that my learned friend might have spared himself this warning god knows that i would rather fifty of the wretched inmates of this county jail were to escape unharmed than that a hair of the prisoner you behold at the bar should be unjustly touched the life of a human being is at stake we should be guilty ourselves of a crime which on our deathbeds we should tremble to recall were we to suffer any consideration whether of interest or of prejudice or of undue fear for our own properties and lives to bias us even to the turning of a straw against the unfortunate prisoner gentlemen if you find me travelling a single inch from my case if you find me saying a single word calculated to harm the prisoner in your eyes and unsupported by the evidence i shall call then i implore you not to depend upon the vigilance of my learned friend but to treasure these my errors in your recollection and to consider them as so many arguments in favour of the prisoner if gentlemen i could by any possibility imagine that your verdict would be favourable to the prisoner i can unaffectedly and from the bottom of my heart declare to you that i should rejoice 
a case might be lost but a fellow-creature would be saved callous as we of the legal profession are believed we have feelings like you and i ask any one of you gentlemen of the jury any one who has ever felt the pleasures of social intercourse the joy of charity the heart's reward of benevolence i ask any one of you whether if he were placed in the arduous situation i now hold all the persuasions of vanity would not vanish at once from his mind and whether his defeat as an advocate would not be rendered dear to him by the common and fleshly sympathies of a man but gentlemen mr dybright's voice at once deepened and faltered there is a duty a painful duty we owe to our country and never in the long course of my professional experience do i remember an instance in which it was more called forth than in the present mercy gentlemen is dear very dear to us all but it is the deadliest injury we can inflict on mankind when it is bought at the expense of justice the learned gentleman then after a few further prefatory observations proceeded to state how on the night of blank last lord malever was stopped and robbed by three men masked of a sum of money amounting to above three hundred and fifty pounds a diamond snuff-box rings watch and a case of most valuable jewels how lord malever in endeavouring to defend himself had passed a bullet through the clothes of one of the robbers how it would be proved that the garments of the prisoner found in a cave in oxfordshire and positively sworn to by a witness he should produce exhibited a rent similar to such a one as a bullet would produce how moreover it would be positively sworn to by the same witness that the prisoner lovett had come to the cavern with two accomplices not since taken up since their rescue by the prisoner and boasted of the robbery he had just committed that in the clothes and sleeping apartment of the robber the articles stolen from lord malever were found and that the purse containing the notes for three hundred pounds the only thing the prisoner could probably have obtained time to carry off with him on the morning on which the cave was entered by the policeman was found on his person on the day on which he had attempted to rescue of his comrades and had been apprehended in that attempt he stated moreover that the dress found in the cavern and sworn to by one witness he should produce as belonging to the prisoner answered exactly to the description of the clothes worn by the principal robber and sworn to by lord malever his servant and the postilions in like manner the colour of one of the horses found in the cavern corresponded with that rode by the highwaymen on these circumstantial proofs aided by the immediate testimony of the king's evidence that witness whom he should produce he rested a case which could he averred be leave no doubt on the minds of an impartial jury such briefly and plainly alleged made the substance of the details entered into by the learned counsel who then proceeded to call his witnesses the evidence of lord malever who was staying at malever park which was within a few miles of blank was short and clear it was noticed as a singular circumstance that at the end of the evidence the prisoner bowed respectfully to his lordship the witness of the postilions and of the valet was no less concise nor could all the ingenuity of clifford's counsel shake any part of their evidence in his cross-examination the main witness depended on by the crown was now summoned and the solemn countenance of peter mcgrawler rose on the eyes of the jury one look of cold and blighting contempt fell on him from the eye of the prisoner who did not again deign to regard him during the whole of his examination the witness of mcgrawler was delivered with a pomposity worthy of the ex-editor of the asinium nevertheless by the skill of mr dybright it was rendered sufficiently clear a story to leave an impression on the jury damnatory to the interests of the prisoner the counsel on the opposite side was not slow in perceiving the ground acquired by the adverse party so clearing his throat he rose with a sneering air to the cross-examination 
so so began mr botherham putting on a pair of remarkably large spectacles wherewith he truculently regarded the witness so so mr mcgrawler is that your name eh eh ah it is is it a very respectable name it is too i warrant well sir look at me now on your oath remember were you ever the editor of a certain thing published every wednesday and called the athenaeum or the asinaeum or some such name commencing with this insidious and self-damnatory question the learned counsel then proceeded as artfully as he was able through a series of interrogatories calculated to injure the character the respectable character of mcgrawler and weaken his testimony in the eyes of the jury he succeeded in exciting in the audience the feeling of merriment wherewith the vulgar are always so delighted to intersperse the dull seriousness of hanging a human being but though the jury themselves grinned they were not convinced the scotsman retired from the witness-box scotched perhaps in reputation but not killed as to testimony it was just before this witness concluded that lord malever caused to be handed to the judge a small slip of paper containing merely these words in pencil dear brandon a dinner waits you at malever park only three miles hence lord and the bishop of meet you plenty of news from london and a letter about you which i will show to no one till we meet make haste and hang this poor fellow that i may see you the sooner and it is bad for both of us to wait long for a regular meal like dinner i can't stay longer it is so hot and my nerves were always susceptible yours malevra if you will come give me a nod you know my hour it is always the same the judge glancing over the note inclined his head gravely to the earl who withdrew and in one minute afterwards a heavy and breathless silence fell over the whole court the prisoner was called upon for his defence it was singular what a different sensation to that existing in their breasts the moment before crept thrillingly through the audience hushed was every whisper vanished was every smile that the late cross-examination had excited a sudden and chilling sense of the dread importance of the tribunal made itself abruptly felt in the minds of every one present perhaps as in the gloomy satire of hogarth the moral mephistopheles of painters the close neighbourhood of pain to mirth made the former come with a homelier shock to the heart be that as it may a freezing anxiety numbing the pulse and stirring through the air made every man in that various crowd feel a sympathy of awe with his neighbour excepting only the hardened judge and the hackneyed lawyers and one spectator an idiot who had thrust himself in with the general press and stood within a few paces of the prisoner grinning unconsciously and every now and then winking with a glassy eye at some one at a distance whose vigilance he had probably eluded the face and aspect even the attitude of the prisoner were well fitted to heighten the effect which would naturally have been created by any man under the same fearful doom he stood at the very front of the bar and his tall and noble figure was drawn up to its full height a glow of excitement spread itself gradually over features at all times striking and lighted an eye naturally eloquent and to which various emotions at that time gave a more than commonly deep and impressive expression he began thus my lord i have little to say and i may at once relieve the anxiety of my counsel who now looks wistfully upon me and add that that little will scarcely embrace the object of defence why should i defend myself why should i endeavour to protract a life that a few days more or less will terminate according to the ordinary calculations of chance such as it is and has been my life is vowed to the law and the law will have the offering could i escape from this indictment i know that seven others await me and that by one or the other of these my conviction and my sentence must come 
life may be sweet to all of us my lord and were it possible that mine could be spared yet awhile that continued life might make a better atonement for past actions than a death which abrupt and premature calls for repentance while it forbids redress but when the dark side of things is our only choice it is useless to regard the bright idle to fix our eyes upon life when death is at hand useless to speak of contrition when we are denied its proof it is the usual policy of prisoners in my situation to address the feelings and flatter the prejudices of the jury to descant on the excellence of our laws while they endeavour to disarm them to praise justice yet demand mercy to talk of expecting acquittal yet boast of submitting without a murmur to condemnation for me to whom all earthly interests are dead this policy is idle and superfluous i hesitate not to tell you my lord judge to proclaim to you gentlemen of the jury that the laws which i have broken through my life i despise in death your laws are but of two classes the one makes criminals the other punishes them i have suffered by the one i am about to perish by the other my lord it was the turn of a straw which made me what i am seven years ago i was sent to the house of correction for an offence which i did not commit i went thither a boy who had never infringed a single law i came forth in a few weeks a man who was prepared to break all laws whence was this change was it my fault or that of my condemners you had first wronged me by a punishment which i did not deserve you wronged me yet more deeply when even had i been guilty of the first offence i was sentenced to herd with hardened offenders and graduates in vice and vice's methods of support the laws themselves caused me to break the laws first by implanting within me the goading sense of injustice secondly by submitting me to the corruption of example thus i repeat and i trust my words will sink solemnly into the hearts of all present your legislation made me what i am and it now destroys me as it has destroyed thousands for being what it made me but for this the first aggression on me i might have been what the world terms honest i might have advanced to old age in a peaceful grave through the harmless cheateries of trade or the honoured falsehoods of a profession nay i might have supported the laws which i have now braved like the counsel opposed to me i might have grown sleek on the vices of others and advanced to honour by my ingenuity in hanging my fellow-creatures the canting and prejudging part of the press has affected to set before you the merits of honest ability or laborious trade in opposition to my offences what i beseech you are the props of your honest exertion the profits of trade are there no bribes to menials is there no adulteration of goods are the rich never duped in the price they pay are the poor never wronged in the quality they receive is there honesty in the bread you eat in a single necessity which clothes or feeds or warms you let those whom the law protects consider it a protector when did it ever protect me when did it ever protect the poor man the government of a state the institutions of law profess to provide for all those who obey mark a man hungers do you feed him he is naked do you clothe him if not you break your covenant you drive him back to the first law of nature and you hang him not because he is guilty but because you have left him naked and starving a murmur among the mob below with great difficulty silence one thing only i will add and that not to move your mercy no nor to invest my fate 
with an idle and momentary interest but because there are some persons in this world who have not known me as the criminal who stands before you and whom the tidings of my fate may hereafter reach and i would not have those persons view me in blacker colours than i deserve among all the rumours gentlemen that have reached you through all the tales and fables kindled from my unhappy notoriety and my approaching doom i put it to you if you have heard that i have committed one sanguinary action or one ruinous and deliberate fraud you have heard that i have lived by the plunder of the rich i do not deny the charge from the grinding of the poor the habitual overreaching or the systematic pilfering of my neighbours my conscience is as free as it is from the charge of cruelty and bloodshed those errors i leave to honest mediocrity or virtuous exertion you may perhaps find too that my life has not passed through a career of outrage without scattering some few benefits on the road in destroying me it is true that you will have the consolation to think that among the benefits you derive from my sentence will be the salutary encouragement you give to other offenders to offend to the last degree and to divest outrage of no single aggravation but if this does not seem to you any very powerful inducement you may pause before you cut off from all amendment a man who seems neither wholly hardened nor utterly beyond atonement my lord my counsel would have wished to summon witnesses some to bear testimony to redeeming points in my own character others to invalidate the oath of the witness against me a man whom i saved from destruction in order that he might destroy me i do not think either necessary the public press has already said of me what little good does not shock the truth and had i not possessed something of those qualities which society does not disesteem you would not have beheld me here at this hour if i had saved myself as well as my companions i should have left this country perhaps for ever and commenced a very different career abroad i committed offences i eluded you i committed what in my case was an act of duty i am seized and i perish but the weakness of my body destroys me not the strength of your malice had i and as the prisoner spake the haughty and rapid motion the enlarging of the form produced by the passion of the moment made impressively conspicuous to all the remarkable power of his frame had i but my wonted health my wonted command over these limbs and these veins i would have asked no friend no ally to favour my escape i tell you engines and guardians of the law that i would have mocked your chains and defied your walls as ye know that i have mocked and defied them before but my blood creeps now only in drops through its courses and the heart that i had of old stirs feebly and heavily within me the prisoner paused a moment and resumed in an altered tone leaving then my own character to the ordeal of report i cannot perhaps do better than leave to the same criterion that of the witness against me i will candidly own that under other circumstances it might have been otherwise i will candidly avow that i might have then used such means as your law awards me to procure an acquittal and to prolong my existence though in a new scene as it is what matters the cause in which i received my sentence nay it is even better to suffer by the first than to linger to the last it is some consolation not again to stand where i now stand to go through the humbling solemnities which i have this day endured to see the smile of some and retort the frown of others to wrestle with the anxiety of the heart and to depend on the caprice of the excited nerves it is something to feel one part of the drama of disgrace is over and that i may wait unmolested in my 
den until for one time only i am again the butt of the unthinking and the monster of the crowd my lord i have now done to you whom the law deems the prisoner's counsel to you gentlemen of the jury to whom it has delegated his fate i leave the chances of my life the prisoner ceased but the same heavy silence which save when broken by one solitary murmur had lain over the court during his speech still continued even for several moments after that deep and firm voice had died on the ear so different had been the defence of the prisoner from that which had been expected so assuredly did the more hackneyed part of the audience even as he had proceeded imagine that by some artful turn he would at length wind into the usual courses of defence that when his unfaltering and almost stern accents paused men were not prepared to feel that his speech was finished and the pause involuntarily jarred on them as untimious and abrupt at length when each of the audience slowly awoke to the conviction that the prisoner had indeed concluded his harangue a movement eloquent of feelings released from a suspense which had been perhaps the more earnest and the more blended with awe from the boldness and novelty of the words on which it hung circled round the court the jurors looked confusedly at each other but not one of them spoke even by a whisper their feelings which had been aroused by the speech of the prisoner had not from its shortness its singularity and the haughty impolicy of its tone been so far guided by its course as to settle into any state of mind clearly favourable to him or the reverse so that each man waited for his neighbour to speak first in order that he might find as it were in another a kind of clue to the indistinct and excited feelings which wanted utterance in himself End of chapter thirty five part one